This is Burn the Ship Podcast, where we help professionals go all in. Exactly that. It's really what we want you to do. Um, we think business is a lot like burning the ship, where you're committing to um, figuring it out here, or you know, there's nowhere really else. You know, there's there's no holds bars, no going back. Um, we want to help those people with you know connecting to professionals that can kind of help them pave that way. Um, so thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having Why don't me. You go ahead and introduce yourself and your business. Sure. So I'm Andrea Beach, CEO of Beachfront Custom Development, and we specialize in using human behavior to build superior software, mobile apps, web, and location-based technologies that actually hit the mark. Sure. And so how did you get into this world? Like, what is a little bit of your story? So for 20 plus years, I've been in consumer engagement technology, started off early, early days in mobile. Um, So flip phones, razors, blackberries. Um, It was more about creating a personalized one-on-one experience, uh, predominantly with luxury brands. That's how we started. Um, And luxury brands have no interest in coupons or, you Mm -hmm. know, being loud or obnoxious. Um, So it was more about creating a relationship. And mobile was where they knew they could target their um, most sought-after prospects because they were no longer reading the newspaper. Uh, Sirius and XM had merged, and so they were no longer just listening to regular radio, and they had a hard time reaching them. And I remember asking them, well, where are they? What are they doing all day? And they said, well, they're face down all day in their Palm Pilot or their BlackBerry back then. And I said, well, why don't you text them? And they said, no, that's cheesy. You know, that's a fad. That's going away. And we don't want to be obnoxious. And I said, well, what if you could text them and say, you know, good morning, Jonathan. Um, Click here to see the new Ferrari F-150 being released in November. Get a sneak preview. You click through, you watch it zoom around the track, and then click a button for a one-on-one test drive when they came out. And they said, wait a minute. You can send a text message that says, good morning, Jonathan? And I said, sure, of course. I had no idea you couldn't do that. I just made it up. Mm -hmm. Um, The good news is I turned to my team and I said, we need to figure out how to do dynamic SMS texting because I just sold it. And they said, "Uh, you know, that's not possible. Anyway, long story short is we figured it out and Mm -hmm. we created it. And then that's what launched the career. It was predominantly mobile technologies. And then we started doing more and more work with web and then software that would support it. Uh, So multimodal, as we say Mm -hmm. in the tech world. And then over time started doing work behind agencies of record for the world's biggest brands, Coke, Ford, AT&T, NASA, NASCAR. Um, We did the NFL, NBA, All-Stars, all kinds of big, very high profile commercial stuff. And every time they couldn't figure out how to do something crazy or out of the box, we kind of got a reputation for, we'll call these guys, maybe they can come in and do something. So it was more or less our human behavior background that brought us into these situations to figure out what was actually going to work, what was going to make that nine-year-old girl participate versus that Mm 72-year-old man on the same iPhone, so to speak. Sure. Mm -hmm. And what is your technology background? So technology was something I never thought I would go into. My, Me too, I'm telling you. My right? original background right? had nothing to do with technology. So I started in sales and marketing. Um, I'm actually a certified hypnotherapist, and I uh, was trained oh, cool. trained in NLP. I have two of my really friend, uh, really good friends, and uh, Angela and Keith Ivy. That have has Angela been on the podcast? I know Keith has, mm-hmm. but um, they're both have been on the podcast talking about 
hypnotherapy like we yeah. have long conversations with those people that, yeah. that's that's really cool yeah very cool so i had definitely started, human behavior related for sure well that side of my life i kept separate sure. i really didn't think there was any use for it in my career my professional life it's just my passion so i studied nlp neurolinguistic programming and dhe which is design human engineering and you know i had studied richard bandler and stuff you know mm-hmm. who informed tony robbins and all that and i loved it i was just personally passionate about it but then i kind of kept my sales my marketing and what eventually led me into the technology world separate. And it wasn't until I was in a very uncomfortable situation one time. Um, it was actually with Coke. Um, and we had done a ton of work with Coke and Sprite and Coke Zero and and had a lot of success, but they uh, they needed something built. I, I'm not going to throw them under the bus, but they needed something built for March Madness um, that I didn't think was a good idea from a behavioral standpoint. I didn't think it would work. And so we declined. And they were not real happy with the fact that we said no. <laughs> um, I don't think a lot of people say no to Coke. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, what happened was I, I explained the reasons why, behaviorally speaking, I thought it would fail. Technologically speaking, I think it was it was enough of a challenge on its own, but I just didn't think it was going to work. And so we passed. Um, they came back a year later and said, what were you talking about? What was that again? Because it did not work. It failed. And um, we ended up from that point on, we never did another RFP. Um, at that point on, we basically started valuing our strategy a lot more than just our deliverables. Mm-hmm. So we no longer were just taking orders, you know, like, what well, here's a scope of work. Can you build it? That that stopped that day. And we started coming in very early on to ideate and think about what is it you're trying to accomplish and who are your targets that you're trying to reach? Um, and ultimately, what is it that you're trying to get them to do? And that informed the kind of blending of both the human behavior through technology that pretty much is, is what we have built our business on today. Yeah, the, the, the value is the understanding of the human behavior. Mm-hmm. The vehicle is the technology. Correct. Right, right. That makes sense. So who was your first big client? Was it Coke? No, Ferrari, Maserati. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. cool. How, did you, how do you get in touch with those types of clients? So... Um, Originally, I thought my business was going to be doing something else. I thought early, early days I was building this website um, for kind of a virtual concierge type of a service. So I was reaching out to anyone that I knew that I met at any networking event that I went to. And and remember, I'd started with sales and marketing, so I had those kinds of contacts. Um what happened was, as I made contacts into that world, um, they would say, yeah, that's great what you're trying to do. But before we can get to that, we have these problems we're trying to solve. And that's how we got Luxottica. So Sunglass Hut, for example, was one of our early clients. I was trying to sell them a different product, a totally different service, different solution. And they said, yeah, that's cool. And we like that. But first, we're having a major issue with loyalty. And we don't want to be cheesy because we're a luxury brand. So how do we get people to come into the stores? Um, And we basically just want them to walk in. And we don't even care, you know, what happens at that point. How do we get them in? And so we came up with this idea, I thought, as a Band-Aid solution to hurry up and fix this short-term problem so I could get the real business I was going after. Little did I know. So we came up with an iPad situation. Nobody even knew what an iPad was back then. (laughs) To to make people come into the back of the store and just type in the four-digit code that they came up with in order to essentially gain points. Um, They weren't called points, but to, to gain some value into their account. So they got invited to VIP events or they 
they might have gotten something off a pair of glasses. Um, but the good news is when you walk into a store, you're never alone, hardly ever. You know, you walk in, you tell your spouse or your friend or whatever, hang on a second while I go do this thing real quick. You turn around and they're trying on a pair of glasses and it worked. It was very successful. So what we thought was a means to an end ended up becoming the business. It took me about two years of beating my head against the wrong wall to figure out maybe we're actually in the business of innovating solutions that the brands have a need for, not necessarily selling this product that we're trying to go after. So we kind of shifted the whole model after about two years and became a a true solutions provider to whatever they needed, which is how we got introduced to their agencies because they would say, well, we have this thing, but we're working with the agency. Can you talk to them? The agencies have a tendency to come up with crazy ideas and not have a clue how to build it. Um, so we became kind mm-hmm. of the kitchen and the back. That's us, by the way. The front That's of the house. what we do. <laughs> we, we come up with these preposterous ideas and we're like, oh man, we can build it. And then we can't. <laughs> I don't know. You seem to be doing all right on some things. I mean, yeah, some things for sure. But I think that this is probably pretty low level as far as some of our ideas go, huh? Yeah. Tristan gets annoyed with me because every day I come in there and I'm like, dude, I've got, I've got this idea. you know. And he's like, oh, my God. It's like I don't have any more time for your ideas, man. <laughs> but that um, that's very interesting. It's very interesting is how you're you're kind of capturing the, the attention of these luxury brands here. And, and mm-hmm. I understand the thought process of like, not being the discount coupon, you know, people of the world. I want to hone in on that that behavioral aspect, you know, analyzing the behavior of your customers. Mm-hmm. So, how what are what are some of the metrics? Like, how do you guys go about understanding the way that some of these luxury brands are interacting with their clients? Well, like, it's changed quite a bit. Um, well, culture has changed. How people interact with brands has completely changed, even pre-COVID. Um, And we cut our teeth on luxury brands the first 10, 15 years in business. But then, of course, it spread out to all consumer brands. And then we started doing more and more B2B work um, because consumers are consumers, right? Whether you're an employee or whether it's a B2C or B2B situation, you have to surprise and delight people. And if they're going to be using a piece of software every day, they got to enjoy it. You know, if you can gamify it or you can make something at least interesting, then the sticky factor and the adherence and the adoption goes way up. And so we started getting more of that work. Um, And we were doing work in healthcare and financial services and things that were kind of considered boring, but we were making them a little bit more fun and exciting. So the results were going through the roof. You know, the adoption was really high and people were responding really well and things were working on a much higher level. Um, And so that human behavior aspect is not just for brands like Coke and Chevy and, you know, consumer facing brands. It can be for any business. You really should consider, I mean, it doesn't matter what the industry is, you you should consider who are your target constituents? Who do you deal with on a regular and ongoing basis? How do you make um, them have a little bit more fun in their daily life? And in dealing with you, whether it's a piece of software that you have, or whether it's a product that you put in their hands, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is, what your business is, how it interacts with people should be um, delightful is the word we use a lot. And if you can use the behavioral aspect to inform those thoughts and decisions before you invest in technology, you're way ahead of the game. Sure. Does it always end with a technology solution? I wouldn't say it always ends with it, but there's technology in all of it. So how how people, whether you're an employee or consumer, it doesn't matter. Any business that does work or has clients, customers, or prospects or people, which is all businesses, in some way have technology. 
whether it's payment systems, online portals, whether it's a mobile app, or whether it's just email or texting. I mean, there is technology that is involved. And the more you know about it, and the more you can automate that, um, you really don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's so many things that are already on the market. There's so many open source and free platforms, or platforms that do 90% of the heavy lifting for you. You don't need to go out and reinvent and recreate and invest all the time and money. Sure. Well, I'm thinking about that from like a, especially our podcast point of view, because everything in the content world is about how do people consume content? Mm -hmm. You know, like that's really what we've been diving into is how do the people that we want to reach consume the content that they consume and what is that content? So my question is like, when there's not really one of those industries or you're not one of those huge luxury brands that wants to develop a piece of technology to solve a problem that you're having as far as customer engagement, like we're having a problem as far as customer engagement and we don't even ask our customers to buy anything. We just want them to watch our stuff, mm -hmm. you know? So like that, that's really what I'm asking is like, what are those metrics that you use? And I know that you have such a diverse like problem solving mm -hmm. repertoire how do you use those metrics and, and like what are some of the things that kind of revolve case by case? Like, you know, what are if you were to look at, hey, here's your ideal audience. Here's where your audience is right now. Here's some things that you can do different. I don't think that there's a pod. I mean, there's a there's a technology demand for us as far as, you know, maybe there is, you know, maybe that maybe there absolutely is. But how do you decide what that that band-aid is once you find out those metrics of the way that your customers are interacting or not interacting with you how do you decide what the solution is i think the universal on all of that i mean every business will be different but the one universal is you take a look at who are you trying to talk to and not do a one-size-fits-all um, so for you guys, I mean, I don't know all your podcasts. I'm fairly new uh, to sure. your repertoire, and I look forward to learning more. But I assume you have diverse subject matter with diverse experts talking about things that would be super exciting and applicable to one segment, but maybe not another. So without having too much knowledge, I would immediately say understanding who your audiences are is number one, and then figuring out where they live, work, and play. Where do they do life? Because if you're dealing with somebody who lives on social media, then maybe perhaps you find out a little bit more about uh, what content they have clicked on or consumed, and then you do some kind of insertion ad with that applicable content sure. on TikTok or Snapchat or on Facebook or wherever they are. You'll have somebody else who might be a little more old school and says, yeah, I'm, I'm not really on social media, but I'm super interested in yeah, I don't know, maybe banking or whatever their mojo is. Um, that might be done more through email and you might want some type of drip campaign or it might be done over push notifications through an app that they already have on their phone that they don't even know. How did this thing appear on my phone? That's the magic of technology is making it seamless and easy so where you actually can deliver the content that the people care about personally and it becomes hyper relevant and timely and it's delivered through the modality that they're going to want to consume it through. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And it's like, what were some of the assumptions that you have understanding this behavioral science for customers and consumers that you brought into your business that you found weren't true? Like what were some of those challenges and assumptions that you made from, you know, your background as far as a hypnotherapist and understanding human behavior that you took with you into business that you kind of had to refine? 
I think the number one misconception from the part of brands, um, whether it's a product or a service solution, was that they had a product or service and they needed to get it out to the marketplace. What was the best way to do that? And they looked at it as a one size fits all. Um, there were times in our past where we drank that Kool-Aid too and tried to do that and then it didn't work. So we learned as much by failure and trial and error as we ever did by hitting bullseyes every time. Um, you know, 20 plus years of combining human behavior with cutting edge technology. You know, we have a pretty high batting average at this point, but we didn't always. Right. Um, so I think probably the most biggest misconception or the most um, often made mistake was assuming that whatever the product or service was, there was a good way, the best way. What was the way to get it out to market? Um, and that's just not the case. Sure. What what was one of those bad experiences? Like not bad experiences. That's the wrong word. But what was one of those times where you well, guys tried you to implement a, a solution? Current that- experience. So we have um, a platform. It's fantastic. It's called Octoc One, and it was created by arguably the world's global leading authority in occupational medicine, Dr. John Kaler. And he is so brilliant and so um, experienced in decades of knowledge about occupational medicine, but all the information was in his head. Mm. So um, all roads led to Dr. Kaler. His phone was constantly ringing and the world's best experts still went to him. That's not a good way to be. And ultimately, he needed to get it out of his head and into a consumable format. Yeah, so some we sort cre- of resource. Yeah, exactly. So we created um, a web platform that works on mobile as well that essentially has it all broken down, whether you search by keyword or it's intuitive, so there's some AI built into it, or it's done by resource or, or what have you. Here is what was something that early days we thought we'll create and then realized we need to bifurcate or splinter based on sure. the audience. Okay, so th- the video are all the same. The content is the same. Radiology images are all the same. What's different is the doctors, the nurse practitioners, the physician's assistants mm-hmm. that consume it. So you have these young millennial doctors coming right out of med school. They're wanting predominantly mobile. They want it on their phones or they want it on small tablets and the ability to consume it on the go. And then you've got the older, more seasoned doctors who are not going to be on mobile. They're sitting at their desktop consuming it. And it has to be fast, intuitive, and it has to work for both groups. So that was something that early days when we first started the the platform a few years ago, we did a one-size-fits-all. And I'm not saying it didn't work because we still put all the behavioral stuff into it, but we didn't realize how diverse these doctors were, kind of the young, new doctors versus the older, more established doctors are completely different on how they consume the platform. Sure. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So, mm-hmm. And what is the solution going to be there is you, you're going to kind of do what you said you're going to say for the ones that want it on mobile we're going to make it available yeah we have a mobile app for the the web for via email Mm -hmm. for disseminating this information whatever way you want to receive it we're going to kind of cover all the boundaries and is that with a technology solution or is that with just coaching kind of that no it nobody has to ask Mm -hmm. so the platform gets introduced through the urgent care clinic or the hospital group or corporation or whatever the administrator doesn't even have to ask they essentially give the login credentials to the doctor or to the young provider or the nurse practitioner who's going to be utilizing it they're going to be the one to figure out do they do they go do they gravitate to their mobile device do they typically use it on a ruggedized tablet as they're walking around from patient to patient do they typically go into the room, take their own notes, and then go back into their office and consume it that way. Nobody has to coach them. Nobody has to ask. It's the idea of making it super intuitive and easy for whatever group wants to consume the content the way they want to consume it, and it just becomes natural. Hmm. 
And do you ever like find yourself like I, I found myself kind of as we're in this this podcast journey and this brand journey, like kind of picking apart other people's brands and other people's marketing material and stuff like that that's similar to us? Do you find yourself kind of picking apart some of these technology platforms that aren't doing that as well? Like because the first one that comes to mind is YouTube, like for me, because YouTube kind of pretends that they can give you all of your content wherever you want to consume it at any time. And they do a decent job, but that it isn't as real because the the underlying, you know, consistency within YouTube is that you're always watching video. Mm-hmm. It's got to be video. Mm-hmm. If you're not watching video, then you're not on YouTube. So when you come to YouTube, you're coming for videos. When you want to watch videos, you usually go to YouTube, but you may go somewhere else. So, like, do you find yourself picking apart these opportunities for these other large brands of, like, you know, if I was that person or if I was in this seat, I would diversify in this way? It's it's hard not to. Big brands and small brands alike. I've seen little bitty baby startup companies crushing it. And I'll Mm -hmm. go, they have really got a handle on it. Um, And then I've seen the world's biggest brands just swing and miss over and over again. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't help it. Um, but but when you and you've seen this before, Bailey, when you see a campaign or you see a brand and they have an ad or they have something that resonates with you and you're like, wow, that's it. Like they get me. The whole thing about a brand is creating a, an advocacy or a one to one relationship. And even if you're doing mass marketing, if you have the ability to, to create that feeling in your target consumer, that's like this brand gets me you win. And how you get somebody is by knowing where they are all day, like what devices they're on or what are they doing with their time? How are they consuming content? What is that content? What do they care about? Like what is important to Andrea versus Bailey? Like if we're walking down the street together and I got a text or push notification because of the location we were at that said I'm into cars, right? So I love fast cars and stuff. And it was something about cars or it was something about a good bourbon or something that I'm interested in. You might get a totally different message at a different time and it'll resonate with you. But if we both got the same message about the same thing at the same time, you actually lose value because you're starting to feel like, oh man, they don't really know me. This is just a mass marketing campaign. The tech technology of today is so far advanced, there is no excuse for small or large brands to be doing batch and blast mass marketing without creating the personalized experience. There's no excuse. It's lazy. Sure. And there are, and do you recommend any like technology solutions for people that have a more simple plan of attack? Like if you say, Hey, you know, email campaigns are going to be really good for you. You Mm -hmm. would, you, Mm -hmm. you, constantly refer already existing technology i'm assuming we tell more it's kind of embarrassing we tell more small businesses and growth stage companies oh you don't need us here there's this free thing or here's this open source thing or you know why don't you try this or if you just did this for six months to a year you can build up the resources to do that and i do feel like they get shocked like you just talked yourself out of business like yeah but we're not going anywhere like we'll be here when you're ready Um, And I would rather tell somebody something that was going to be highly successful for them and then let their business grow until they do need something custom. Or if it's a legacy platform, it's some software that they inherited because they, you know, they had to work with somebody's brother-in-law's system or something that was built by the previous owner. And they're like, what do we do with this? Are we trapped with this? Probably not. And so a lot of times on our kind of consulting side of our business, we'll come in and figure out how they can leverage what they already have. We actually just did a project. I'm not at liberty to say who, but you definitely know who this company is if I were to say it. We came in and did an audit 
of their web properties, and it was so diffuse, and so it was like spaghetti code stuff was everywhere. It was like a Frankenstein of 20-something years of doing the work. We did such band-aid a... Band-aid on top of band-aid yes. on top of band-aid. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And we did such a thorough job of... And I, I had nothing to do with this. This is 100% my team, so I can brag on them because this was not me. Um, they did such a great job of figuring out just how to kind of reorient the Legos and put it all, snap it all back together. They really need a whole brand new platform and a whole brand new site. They do. But we did such a decent job of helping them figure out how to optimize what they already have that they're going to roll with that plan for a couple of years. So we just worked ourselves out of business. But that's okay, because they'll be back because they'll trust us to do right by them. And that's what business is about. It should be about. For sure. Well, that's a human behavior thing as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's an idea behind human behavior is that when you create value and put your customer in the hero's position, like mm-hmm. you're going to get you know, some benefit out of that later, where whatever that benefit is, connections, referrals, resources, time, yeah. um, whatever that is that, that people will give to you when you bring value to them in that way. So what are, I wanted to ask this as well, like what is the community aspect for you guys? Are you guys kind of, you know, you know, deep into the technology community of Atlanta because they have an incredible startup community there. Like what, what does that work for you? Where, where are you guys spending your time kind of networking or drumming up connections? Well, that's an interesting question post-COVID, um, if, if post is actually accurate. So um, for years, I was very, very involved in the Southeast technology community. Um, I sat on several boards, and I was very active at networking events. I would say it was moderately successful for business growth, but here's the problem, and here's what I would, would recommend to any startup or growth stage business. Part of the problem, especially in technology, but any trade or any type of uh, niche group, um, if you're hanging out with a bunch of other yous, like a bunch of other tech people, everyone's trying to sell everybody their tech or puff their chest up about why their AI is better than your BI and all this kind of jazz. Uh, there wasn't a lot of business to be had. Mm-hmm. you know. And when you had somebody that came into the room that was potentially a prospective client who was interested in technology, it was like sharks versus minnows. It was like not a fun place to be. Mm-hmm. So I actually backed way out of the tech community. Um, I still have a lot of friends. I have a lot of respect for the work that's done in the Southeast on the technology side. And we are crushing it from a technology standpoint um, comparatively to the rest of the country. Um, we have a lot of good stuff to be proud of, but I wasn't getting the business there. So a few years ago, uh, I backed out and I had this idea to build an IOT mesh network of venues, brands, and consumers, um, essentially where your mobile device as a consumer becomes your universal remote and everywhere you go, whether it's a sports entertainment venue, a mixed use development, could be a tourist destination, downtown entertainment district, or a campus. I mean, it could be medical, corporate campus. Um, everywhere you go and everywhere you do life, you have your phone with you. And if it can recognize your physical location, combine it with your personal preferences and your historical behavior, and you're kind of James Bond everywhere you go, it kind of knows what you like and how you like it and where mm-hmm. and when you like it. If you have the ability to gain or earn elevated status, maybe no waiting in line, a special door for you, a special parking area for you, there's value to that. When I started to create that network, which is called Access Network, A-X-E-S-S, that network took all my focus and nobody in my niche group and these networking events was going to 
necessarily help me build that. In fact, it might have been somewhat of a threat or competitive. Um, so it seems I, like one of the most demanding technology mm-hmm. undertakings that because there's their hardware involved. Oh, huge! So smart Wi-Fi, digital signage, mobile mm-hmm. apps, location-based technologies. Yes. You know, beacon sensors, geo. Yeah. There was a lot, and I knew I wasn't going to find what I needed hanging with my crowd, so to speak. Sure. You know, and so I would recommend that whether you're in real estate or you're in merchant services or whatever your industry is, going to industry events is nice every once in a while, but you're not going to network in a way that's going to probably earn you a lot of business. You need to go to where your consumers or your target prospects or strategic partnerships are. Go where they're hanging out. Sure. That makes sense. And that's why we spend so much time there. You know, because from a B2B and a B2C perspective, like saving money, making that payment, you know, the the main thing that we do really well is like any B2B or B2C software is like we have a, an understanding of like your click funnel, like mm-hmm. what way is going to be the way that converts you the highest number of sales or, you know, reduces the amount of open shopping carts that you have. Like that that's really the human behavior side of our mm-hmm. aspect on the payments thing. It's incredibly value to the technology community because a lot of people don't understand that. Like, hey, what am I actually paying to receive electronic payments? We can save you some money there. Um, as my business changes, because it's going to, who is going to help me with those changes? But the main thing was, who can set up a payment method that understands the behavior of our consumers that and how they're going to buy how they're going to walk through that process as well so it it, you know those are our our ideal clients our ideal connections that's why we spend so much time there that's why i kind of ask so um as far as your your internet of things product goes what use cases are you using that for now well, right now, venues are starting to wake back up. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been on life support or basically in a coma. And I think you guys have got a strong pitch there of like, hey, your venue's waking back up. Make the most out of the data that you that you could possibly have. Like, if you're going to re-energize your ability to market, man, now Well, the, the venues are, are struggling because they've had no cash right. for a year and a half. They're undervalued and under-resourced right now. So they're strapped, but they also probably have the highest need. Um, so what we're doing is we're giving them, we've invested over a million dollars into our app and our platform, and we're giving it to them for no cost up front, um, which they could never do that on their own. Um, sure. But there's huge benefit to promote their upcoming schedule of events or um, their food, beverage, their directory, their merchandise. What do they have going on? Bundled offers. You know, it's a Valentine's thing or it's mm-hmm. a Fourth of July thing. Um, that's something that we know how to do really, really well. And we have brand partnerships that we've cultivated over the last 20 plus years. And a single venue in a mid-tier market is not going to be very exciting to a blue chip brand. But when you can string them all together like a strand of Christmas lights, and we can light up all these venues at once, then brands, whether they're regional or national brands, say, hey, yeah, we'll get in on that because that's the heartbeat of America. And so what I would recommend if if it's a company that's a startup or a growth stage or um, there's an opportunity that they're trying to fulfill, um, they see a need, they're trying to fill the need, I would recommend considering what the unique value proposition is for that particular target group. So let me give you an example for merchant services or for payments. Um, You can do payments and gateways and shopping carts and portals and things like that for probably just about any industry. But how you would talk to 
a dry cleaner might be very different than how you would talk to a mobile food truck or food service. They have different needs. They have different types of clients. Therefore, trying to have one mission statement, trying to have like one uh, elevator pitch, it just really doesn't work from a behavioral standpoint. Because what I have found is that when people speak, and there's not a lot of speaking in person anymore, but you do a lot of these virtual meetings, which are exhausting. People will spend the whole first part of it talking about, this is me, this is my background, this is what we do, this is why we're great. Well, nobody cares, honestly. Nobody cares until they realize there's something in it for them. Mm -hmm. So what I recommend, especially for young companies, is start off talking about your client. Start off talking about your prospect and, and explaining that you understand their felt need. You don't even have to introduce yourself because they don't really care what your name is. And they certainly don't care your background, how long the company's been in business. They don't care, not yet. They will eventually. But if you start off talking to your target prospect and say, let me understand, you're in this industry. So right now you're probably struggling with X, Y, and Z. I bet it would be helpful to you if you had a way to do blah, blah, blah. And they look at you like, oh, yeah, you you get me. You understand. You say, yeah, okay, well, we see that because we handle merchant services or whatever your business is to be able to solve that problem. And then they're going to go, what was your name? I mean, because they're, wow, well, tell me your background. Then they're interested. Mm -hmm. But that is one thing that I would recommend is people are trying to come up with their pitch, you know, or their elevator speech or whatever, mm -hmm. um, is I would maybe come up with a different one for every target group you're trying to sell to. And I would come up with a one that starts with them, not you. Right. Yeah, I actually, um, I do that a lot with my 60-second pitches when we virtually network still. I actually learned that from a technology company. So I had a guy that I had never met, I had never seen. And we go to pitch practice in Atlanta mm -hmm. Tech Village mm -hmm, sure. a lot. Uh, it's so much fun because I've been I've been selling for five years. And when I came, when I first started doing this, it was horrible. I had no idea. I didn't want to sell. I just <laughs> wanted to be friends with you until you wanted to do business with me. And so eventually we learned how to outline the value that we have for people. Mm -hmm. You know, And not only is it payments, it's our network. It's all mm -hmm. of these different things, you know. And one day I was at pitch practice and I'd probably, you know, this was like right before COVID, maybe a, Jan mm -hmm. a January ago. Okay. And so this guy stood up and he said, I, my company is this and we will help you build your MVP in 10 days for $10,000. Mm -hmm. And then he sat down and I was like, that's really strong. I was like, I want to go talk to that guy, but mm -hmm. I don't know his name. And I just remember the name of his company because the name of his company was so in line with mm -hmm. the 10. Yeah. And so I was like, that is incredible. So we go and go and talk to these people and they'll literally build your, your minimal viable product for $10,000 in 10 days. Like your bare minimum skin and bones of what it is and whether it's good or bad or useful or useless. I don't know because they never built anything for me. I'm not, I don't throw a lot of my ideas into a bunch of a well of technology. You just give them to Tristan and hope he doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll do, he'll build them eventually when he gets some time. Um, but like I heard that, it's like the way that you communicate. That's human behavior as well as like the 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 way that you communicate with people. If you can simplify it down as to like, hey, I know that you have you know I'm speaking to you as my client. I know you have this idea and your idea is valuable. And you probably don't have a lot of resources or capital or energy or time to put into this. It's like, let us be the person that opens that door for you for a low cost in a short period of time so that you can see that it's real. And then we're don't like we're barely profitable at this $10,000 in 10 days mark, you know, 
But when you need to invest the rest of the $90,000 and we get to work on this for three months and do added features and benefits and really build the logic into that, that's where we make our money. It's a performance-based model. A hundred percent. But the way that they're selling is the value is we'll bring your idea to life. And that is so, like I saw people just eat it up. You talk about, I mean, I love Simon Sinek, right? So if you've mm -hmm, talked about the power of why. But really, it's about getting to that silver bullet. You've heard, mm-hmm. you know, Neil Gordon and folks talk about the silver bullet. Mm-hmm. And it's really not about, especially in technology, it's not about the um, what it, or even the how. It's all about the why. And one good example of that is when Apple originally came out with the iPod, mm-hmm. right, which sound, feels silly to talk about the iPod anymore. But instead of saying, well, it's kind of like a Sony Walkman, but instead it has this and there's a wire, but it's small and it fits in your pocket. No, the pitch was it's 10,000 songs in your pocket. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with the tech. The brilliance of those kinds of messaging marketing campaigns are it is nothing at all about the what and the mechanism and even and we make it easy and for low cost and all that will come it's what is that silver bullet what is that final result that you're going to give them mm-hmm. you know and you really that takes a lot of work it sounds simple coming out of my mouth but it takes hours and hours and hours of work to get to the silver bullet i'm sure you have a couple of those other those other like really hit it out of the park moments as far like what are some other ones besides the iPod that come to mind for you when you think of like people that hit it out of the park as far as a behavioral analysis goes with with their marketing campaigns that you didn't do by the way yeah that, no. you, that you can't take credit for <laughs> yeah well, I definitely can't take credit for the iPod I wish I could um, yeah, that would be incredible we would <laughs> we would be talking about we would have been a very different podcast yeah we'd be at the beach okay. somewhere I'm, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we literally would. Literally would. I would have to fly down to Key West to go give you an interview. Maybe next time. Yeah, maybe. Um, Well, there's a few other examples that that come to mind where you're really focused more on the experience than you are the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Some alcoholic beverage companies have done a really good job with this. Um, So there was a real push or real play for um, what I'll call mid-tier wine. So for a while, you had like bougie, expensive wine, sommelier kind of quality Mm -hmm. wine, and then you had like wine in a box or wine coolers. And there was really no middle market. And so um, there was a movement where distributors, um, one in particular, realized, wait a minute, there are people that like good quality wine that aren't necessarily so bougie, but they're not wanting necessarily to drink it out of a box either. And so when they started talking to this mid-tier market, they were not talking about the bottle or how the grapes were cultivated or the tannins. They weren't talking about that. They were talking about enjoying a fun night with friends, getting together with the girls. And you've probably seen some of these commercials Mm -hmm. on TV, right? So Mm -hmm. I don't even need to say who we're talking about because the idea was about cultivating the experience you were going to have with this wine. And oh, by the way, it's affordable and it's accessible and you don't have to be a wine connoisseur to know it, enjoy it and feel like you're actually having an enjoyable experience and they went through and splintered someone's life between girls night out or hanging with the ladies romantic dinner for two you can even be enjoying it you know on a business function i mean you have these different experiences that you've painted the picture and people don't care about the tannins or they didn't care about you know the individual combination of grapes Mm -hmm. they cared about what experience am i going to have and can i afford that and is it accessible and that hit it out of the park wow So do you think a lot about that from a marketing perspective as you're doing 
you know these projects for people is like not only are we putting together the technology but are they going to be able to come up with these ideas to market for themselves later or do they kind of stay in touch with you and you guys kind of keep in touch and, and keep sure everything's in line both i mean we have we have projects that I would say we did such a good job on that they kind of floated off on their own and they could stand on their own. And we're like, okay, go with God. That's great. Glad you had such a good experience. Um, And that is still a win for us, but we do miss some of those clients. Um, We also have clients that stay with us for years and years and years because businesses grow and evolve and change. And um, I'll give you one example. This OctoC One, this platform, um, it's not only focused on urgent care centers and hospitals and stuff like that, but now um, because of demand, they've gotten a need for CME credits, continuing medical education Mm -hmm. credits. If you have the ability as a doctor or as a nurse or a PA to earn your CME credits while you're just working and practicing medicine every day, that's like win-win. You know, you used to have to leave and fly somewhere for a conference or do things to earn your CME credits. If they can earn them as they're working, the technology has never existed to do that in a very um, credible and seamless way. And so we have now built that technology into an existing platform. So it's a huge bolt-on. I mean, it's it's actually a whole nother platform that mm-hmm. we seamlessly integrated into this platform. And it'll work on mobile devices as well. When we originally met and talked about the scope of work for building out this OctoC One platform, that was not in there. Right. It came from a felt need from consumers and the people that were using it saying, mm-hmm. wow, I'm I'm learning so much. And the thought was, oh, you're learning. I wonder if we could actually give you credit for what you're learning. How do we go to the accreditation committee? So we handled and did all of that for them. That's an example of continuing to evolve with a company. A lot of times we white label too because there's other companies that are building online portals or gateways or they have certain tech that they supply to their customers. And maybe we come alongside as a white label behind them or we come in as a trusted partner because – people wouldn't necessarily believe that they had all the sophisticated tech that we have. So we can do it either way. And the reason why a company might want to do that is so they don't lose those clients to a competitor because there is a turf war that goes on. So if you build online software, but you don't do any mobile, and you know you have a client that says, hey, we're looking to build a mobile app. Well, first of all, they may not need one. Okay, so there's a whole behavioral thing. You probably want to figure out why. What do you need it for? Does that make sense? You also want it to be seamless with with whatever your company is doing. And you don't want them going out into the marketplace to go find some company that can build them a mobile app because now they may encroach on what you're doing and try to steal your business. So sometimes it's beneficial to bring in a company like ours as either behind the scenes or as a trusted partner to beef up your own value prop. Sure. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you, you've given us a lot to think about today as far as um, what it looks like to bring those ideas to life, but how, you know, not only as, as you bring your brand and your ideas to life and they become a, you know, a tangible piece of something that you can use and functions within your businesses, how do you communicate that value to the rest of your customers? Mm-hmm. You know, and how do you deliver this message to um, your customers in a way that is going to bode well for your business in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me this kind of as we as we close down, how do people find you uh, if they want to talk to you and they, they want to buy something from you or they just want to have something they want to run by you or, you know, maybe they have a referral that they want to send you? Oh, sure. Um, well, beachfrontcustomdevelopment.com. Um, and then as far as me, I'm on LinkedIn, Andrea Beach, B-E-A-C-H. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would be happy to, you know, lend advice and expertise wherever I can. I had a lot of help. 
when I was coming up. Sure. And um, like I said, I probably did it wrong a lot more than I did it right. And I probably should have listened to more advice. I was pretty stubborn. Um, but these days, I'm, you know, I'm happy to mentor and help and educate. If somebody can not make the mistakes that I made, I am thrilled to do that for them. Um, and one thing that I will, will also say that's going to be really, really impactful for people is that the idea that first impressions get all the glory. You know, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Sure. You hear about impressions all the time. You know, be well-dressed, all these things, show up on time. What you don't ever hear people talking about is the last impression. And it does not matter what industry you're in or what business or what stage of your business. The last impression is the lasting impression with your customers, with your strategic partners, whoever it is that you're working with. And you know this, if you've ever had a bad family vacation, the whole week was bad, but the last day was so great and everybody bonded and you had a wonderful time. If people came back and said, how was your family vacation? You'd be like, it was really great. I mean, we had some bumps in the road, but it was great. Conversely, if you had an amazing week and the last day was horrible, and people ask you, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, you can't even believe what happened. This thing was incredible. It's terrible. They lost our luggage. No, you had a wonderful week. It's that last you know, impression. And so when companies can do this well, whether it's through technology or through marketing or just their customer service, that is one of my biggest things I try to teach startups is create a good lasting impression, whatever the right. last thing was that you did. Sure. And maybe you can help some people burn the ship. Yeah. You know, there are a lot Happy of people to. out there that... Um, want to bring their ideas to life. So Yeah, well, there's definitely a right and a wrong way. Sure. And um, there are plenty of people that have messed up and done it wrong before. So if you can be leveraging the successes and failures of other people around you and it gets you there that much faster, that's better. Sure. Well, you're an incredible resource for that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for coming out. Thanks I appreciate for having you me. very much. I appreciate the time. Um, and we're going to get this out to the world. So Okay. Thank you. All righty.